Hello and welcome to this episode of Bush Footy Legends. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on the traditional lands of the Noongar people and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. The show is produced by Magic Studios and presented by the WA Country Football League in partnership with Healthway, promoting the Think Mental Health message. I'm your host, Jackson Barrett. Let's get into it. On this week's show, Michael Mitchell. Michael, welcome to Bush Footy Legends. Thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. How are things? Uh, not too bad, Brian. A um, little bit hectic, but normal sort of day. Yeah. Um, we'll get to some of your pretty incredible footy stories in a sec, but what's keeping you busy these days? What What does sort of a week in the life look like? Um, I'm now a consultant, so I do a bit of travelling around, around the health, mental health and uh, wellbeing space. So, yeah, good news is people want me to work for them, so... Yeah. Uh, um, supposedly, and I've just come to terms with it, kind of, I'm a subject matter expert when it comes to Aboriginal social and emotional well-being and mental health. So, How important is, is that at the moment, particularly the sort of times that we've lived through recently and, and in the country and through footy clubs with Tackle Your Feelings as well? How important is that space at the moment? Um, it's, it's very, very important. The rates are climbing up all the time. Uh, I think it used to be one in four. It'll be one in three soon. Uh, afflicted by mental health and uh, social emotional well-being issues. Um, life's pretty tough if you're living anywhere. Yeah. Um, cost of living, and uh, we got coronavirus on top of that, and employment opportunities, all that. So it's pretty tough. It's important work. Um, a little bit about your background. So started. Um, up in Carnarvon, what sort of a place was Carnarvon in the Midwest to, to grow up in, in in that sort of time? Um, I tend to think uh, we got the best of it. So I started in Shark Bay um, and uh, went to an outstation, carrying station, yep. which is no longer a viable station. Um, I was there for about 12 months with my mum and dad. Yep. And they were just ringers out there. Went to Shark Bay, went to school there till about... Grade three, then went to Carnarvon, and that's where that's where I found out that I was Aboriginal. Uh, we just grew up as normal, but yeah. then I was told I was Aboriginal. Yeah, so, so yeah, it was it's interesting. An, it's an interesting point when you're, you're yeah. not in that sort of community. No. You, you just don't know what was that like as a kid. Um, well, as a kid, you know, you're kind of resilient and you uh, cope with things, but just uh, hadn't kind of. Uh, dawned on me or realised that we were different or supposed to be different because in Shark Bay there was no racism and uh, it's a little bit of paradise there but grew up in Carnarvon and it wasn't too bad but um, well it was pretty good Um, did the usual stuff uh, played all the sports um, footy, cricket uh, basketball, even soccer a bit of touch footy and um, no it was pretty good growing up how did you find footy? Was it sort of at that age in, in that part of the world, just sort of what you did? Is that how you, you came about playing for the first time? Was it something that had run in the family? How did that come about? Um, yeah, kind of. Um, so my parents were um, gifted athletic people and good at all sports. Mum was a tennis champ and a runner and so was dad and footballer and all that. So we kind of got their genes and... Um, all four kids. We've been good at sport, and uh, but we also were given good values and beliefs about it all too. So about mixing in and uh, working along with everyone. Was football and, and the other sports that you and your siblings played a really big part of coming into that community? Because you obviously weren't born there, so you, you had to come into that Carnarvon community. That, I imagine, would have played a really big part in you settling in there. Yeah, look... Um, I actually actively promote now that football is no longer king in many communities. And, and the worrying thing is is that it's pretty pretty much true from my perspective anyway. But um, in my day, footy was king. So, and it didn't matter what ethnicity you were, um, it was the great leveller. Yep. So the acceptance by everyone that oh, he's a good footballer, well, that was the level playing field. It wasn't until you... Walked off and experienced some other stuff in other towns, and 
you realise it's not... You find out about racism and indifference. So, But in Carnarvon, it was pretty good. Um, the Mitchell family and the Bellotti family, there was 10 siblings on one side and about 11 on the other. So lots of cousins, aunts, uncles and all that. So they kind of looked after each other. And they, and they had a reputation of being good sportsmen, but kind of not to be messed with either, which at, is good. <laughs> at what sort of age did you realise I'm pretty handy at this football thing? You're obviously naturally gifted and it's something that carried through your career. At what point did you go, this This might be for me, I'm pretty handy here? Um, I was always pretty good at sport, good hand-eye coordination, fast. I was only a blooming little midget, so light as a feather. But um, oh, good hand-eye coordination, speed. But also I had some smarts about me. I'm obviously talking myself up a bit here, but I was the chess champion at primary school in grade four and uh, I was the chess champion of the school and even beat the teacher who taught me how to play. So I started to understand strategy and stuff. Yep. And that's an important process and factor to me today. So that kind of helped. But um, sport was king and it was it was the good leveller. It was interesting. We... The Aboriginal boys were always better, and we used to say to all the white fellas, "No, nah, blacks on the whites, you get over there." So we you were kind of bit of, bit of reverse racism. <laughs> we, we didn't know about that, but anyway, we'd beat them in everything. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine there would have been a fair bit of skill and speed going around if you're anything to go by. Um, how does a boy from Carnarvon then land at Claremont Footy Club? So 1982, you arrive. How does that come about, and what was it like walking through the doors at? Claremont Oval for the first time? Um, well, the interesting part of that, there's two little footnotes, I guess. One was we had a motor vehicle accident with my uncle in Shark Bay when I was about 12. Okay. Anyway, we were on the back of the ute and got flipped out and lucky we're all still alive to this day, touch wood. And um, I did my ankle. And anyway, I was limping around and saying, oh, well, that's the end of my sporting career. And my uncle always brings it up now to this day. But um, Was that just a young fella hamming it up yeah, a little bit? Yeah, no. Well, <laughs> he, he reckoned I was a bit serious at the time, <laughs> a bit of a serious person. But, yeah, so played footy in Carnarvon at Warriors. And um, I actually got a call from East Fremantle to go down to training at East Fremantle one pre-season. Uh, not too sure what year, but a bloke called Ken Smith was the coach. Anyway, I went down there with about... 180 other fellas, 160. We're running around in the middle of summer and anyway, he called me in one day after about two weeks and said, oh, Mitch, look, um, you're a bit small. Uh, you know, we're going to let you go and, uh, yeah, all the best. So I thought, okay. So I went back to Carnarvon. And that was the kind of perfect motivator for me in that it, I thought footy was going to be my dream. And so when that got shattered a little bit, um, so I concentrated, I got a, an apprenticeship. I was doing my apprenticeship at the time, so I thought I'll finish that. Claremont came calling in the form of Mr. Graham Moss, who I love dearly, and he was with a bloke called Charlie Clifford and a few others on a fishing boat going through, and they'd heard about me. And um, my old coach in Carnarvon said, now, whatever you do, Mitch, if they pull out a form four, don't sign it. Anyway, we're talking away and Mossy and him are offering us fish and or meat and I said, oh, no, we're right. I think he still doesn't understand that. <laughs> he can't believe that I knocked it all back, but anyway. Um, and then he pulled out the form and said, can you sign this? So I promptly signed the form and I guess the rest against is history. <laughs> yeah, against instruction. The old coach said, what are you doing? <laughs> I can imagine there'd be some pretty disappointed people at East Fremantle when you showed up and started stamping yourself in the league side at the Tigers. Well, yeah, I think there's a lot of people actually that, that are at East Fremantle now. They, they know now because I tell them. And I've done a few things for them. And I said, but if I'm speaking publicly, I'm going to say what happened. So, you know, you take it on the chin and sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. So down to Claremont. Do you yep. remember your debut, round four against Subiaco Oval in 82? Is it something that sticks with you? Uh, no, not really. And a lot of people say you do, but... So over my journey, I had lots of concussions, like way too many. And um, But um, the best thing about Claremont was 
there were a lot of country blokes there. So there's there's a huge contingent from uh, Albany. Yeah, and which is still a, a big catchment zone yeah, for the club. Absolutely, and it's it's real prime stuff. So that's what I think. Claremont still does all right out of it. But um, no, I, I got on with all the blokes and um, especially Daryl Panizza and Alan Rowe. They're great mates to this minute, as all of them are, and uh, Peter Davidson. So that's the thing about footy, you know. Like I got mates from the Warriors footy club time in Carnarvon, got them from uh, Claremont and got them from Richmond. And there's a sprinkling of blokes that I know from playing representative football, like for the Gaelic footy tour we went to Ireland in 88. What was waffle footy like having come from country footy? So, I mean, footy in Carnarvon, it's a um, a handy little breeding ground, but it's it'd be fair to say it's not one of our more prominent leagues. There are only three clubs in Carnarvon, yeah. I'm right in saying. So um, what was the step up? to waffle like did you you played 13 games in your debut season did that involve some games in the twos and sort of acclimatizing to that standard yeah absolutely so you know everybody starts in the twos and if you bugger up and go back to the magoo so um but um it, it's it, it's all about experience and all that and, and and it's on it's all on the individual you know you can take a little bit of a body blow like to your ego and all that but you work hard and I think I worked pretty hard, and I was fit, I was strong, but then when I went to Richmond, I went to a new level, because um, the penny dropped, and I worked a lot harder, got a lot fitter, a lot stronger, and um, then for the first time, I started thinking about footy, about how to actually play, whereas all before it was play whatever's in front of me, boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah. You touched on East Fremantle, part of the reason they knocked you back at least was for your size. Was there any concerns at Claremont about that? Were they pretty keen on you um, putting on some size or was your pace and that sort of thing something you could fall back on rather than needing to be a a bigger body to compete? Oh, look, I I don't think it mattered with them because um, the great JK and PK, Phil and Jimmy were there. And Jimmy's not a huge man. So, and uh, he was tough when it mattered and he's a great player when it mattered. So... Yeah, I, I naturally got a bit stronger in that, but my speed was the thing. So there aren't too many blokes with speed. So, yeah. What are your memories of the 84 Sandover like? So by this time, you're a, an established, really, really yeah. good player of the competition and you're becoming known for your pace and you share it. So still the only three-way tie in a Sandover medal with your teammate, Steve Malaxis. Yep. And... Peter Spencer, what was Sandover Medal night like? Was it the first time you'd gone to one, do you know? Um, I know that they changed the format and it was down at the Entertainment Centre. Yep, it was. And that, it was down there. And uh, and that's also the first night and the first time they removed the countback rule. So, and I think uh, we worked it out. If it was on a countback, I think I wouldn't have won. So I'm glad they removed that rule. And um, But the good news was that uh, Spanner came down to Claremont, Peter Spencer, not long after. Yeah. So all three of us were playing in the same side, which was – and uh, what we do now is when we go to the Sandover function, we're all at the same table. So they have you in eras and that. And yeah. So, um, no, it's great. Do you feel a bit of a bond with those guys because you sort of shared that night and that accolade and all that comes with it? Oh, look, absolutely. And um, what happens too is you get to know all the other Sandover medalists and, and it really is like a family. So, And I, I had the good fortune to go with um, Billy Walker came with us and uh, he came with us to Ireland in 1988. Okay. Because I think he played in the, I think it was 64 or something, they had a glass side went away. Yeah. With Neil Curley, sadly. Old Knuckles passed away today, the other day, so rest in peace. But... um. And I found out how much of a gentleman Billy was, but we all sit at the same toes. We all go and say hello, and it's like a, well, it's kind of an exclusive club, yeah. But it's not a snotty nose club, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm curious about <laughs> state footy. Yeah. Um, it's something that we haven't seen for a long time, and lots of people sort of yearn for it to come back. But you played it 
the absolute peak of state of origin football. Yep. So first game in 83, you played South Australia. Later that year, you didn't play, but WA beat Victoria. And yep. most people sort of say this is sort of as good as as good yep. as footy gets. And that side had Gary Buckenara and yep. Ross Glendinning who came back over. That must have been so special to be a part of that. Yeah, look, um, uh, it's all about levels. And, um, you know, you go up a notch and up a notch. And um, it was fantastic, you know, 40, 43, 44-odd thousand people there. Uh, if you talk to everyone, there was about 143 with everyone who says they were. Everyone will tell you that. Yeah. yeah, they were there that day. But anyway, they were also there the day I took the mark. So there would have been about 143,000 in there. Packed in. Yeah. But no, look, it was special and uh, it was great to – so. They came over and I played one of the State of Origins when they come over and we joined in and I think that was 86 and we won that. And supposedly it's one of the greatest games of footy around um, that they say ever happened. And uh, sadly I did my knee late in the last quarter or halfway through it. And But thank, thankfully we got over the line. I kicked a couple of goals and... My great little mate, Dale Waitman, he uh, kicked five and got the Victorian medal and it was just a fantastic day, like all champions everywhere. And as I said, it's the great level of footy. Yeah. So you can you can perform, you can do whatever. And, you know, people uh, kind of achieve greatness through those processes and reputations are made and or broken. So I guess what was good in... Um, talking to a lot of the blokes after and later on in years. And I knew I had pace, but they really used to tell me that, no, no, you, <laughs> they weren't too many as quick as you. So, Do you feel like you talk about sort of as the standard goes up, you go to a different level, but as someone who sort of relied on your pace, do you reckon the skill that they always talk about at State of Origin where they always say the ball never hit the ground at training sessions and stuff like that, as someone who needed the ball on the outside and then sort of go with it, that yeah. must have been handy knowing that you're getting pretty good service from the guys pulling it out of the middle. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, uh, sadly um, he's passed now, but Tony Beers once summed it up for me. So I came back from Richmond for that uh uh, might have been, I'm not too sure what year, 88 maybe. But anyway, um, so I came back from Richmond for a state game and I went to training at Claremont and he said to me, he said, shit, Mitch, he said, you're hitting the ball hard, mate. You never used to hit the ball this hard at Claremont, even though I was fast. Yeah. But so that's where it's kind of survival of the fittest. So... If I had a theory, if I hit the ball harder, because I was faster, I was in front of them. They were never going to get me. But your skill level also went up. So I didn't mind if I just knocked it forward or whatever, but I made sure it kept going forward. Yeah. But my hands become so much better, pick-ups, you know, That's that sort almost of, quite at top pace. Yeah. That's that sort of role, miss. isn't it? Keep the yeah. ball moving forward. Oh, absolutely. And become clean, clean. And then obviously know what you're going to do as soon as you get it, before you get it, kind of. Yeah. So, Did you hope to land at the West Coast Eagles when they came in at about that time? You were at the peak of your powers. It was before you went to Richmond. Did you? Were you keen on becoming an Eagle? Um, Mossy was in charge of that process. And um, he kind of approached me and my manager who was looking after me at the time because uh, Geelong and Richmond were both very interested in me. They both actually made the same offer, but, yeah, and I was one of the first ones Mossy wanted, but unfortunately I'd signed already, so. But having said that, there was stuff going on in my life where I had to leave Perth, so okay. I, was on the, I was on the wrong path. And so thankfully I went, and the reason I played for Richmond was a no-brainer in that. Um, Geelong made the same offer, same money, and uh, they were obviously playing finals and very successful and we were just dropping off the perch a bit. And the reason I went to uh, Richmond was the great Morris Rioli was there and my great mate Phil Egan. And uh, Geelong had no Aboriginal players. So to me, it was a no-brainer. And I wanted to play one year with Morris anyway. Yeah. 
So, and how, I'm glad I did that. How aware of you were? How aware of you of VFL footy were you at the time while playing Claremont? Was it something that you had in the back of your mind and was sort of aspiring to, or was it just when they came calling that you sort of went, "This might not be a bad idea"? Or oh no, look, um, when I grew up, see, this is before your time now, and I'm I'm assuming here. Um, they used to have the winners on the ABC, and I had a routine. I was doing my apprenticeship, and uh, I'd go downtown Saturday morning, go and buy a steak, go back home, cook it up, eat it up for lunch, watch ABC footy, that other, and uh, next day we'd play footy or do whatever, then we'd all go home and watch the winners. So, yep. And that's like, that's when footy was king, as I stated earlier. Yep. It's no longer king, which is a worry. What sort of a place is Richmond? So obviously, Morris Rioli, they've had some of the greatest Indigenous players of all time since then. Um, Punt Road, what sort of a place is that? It's a long way from Carnarvon. Um, one of the things you realise, and, and I'm, I'm a bloke who takes notice of things and you see things and you think, oh yeah. But when I was there, um, we had this group of supporters. They used to come and watch us train every night. There could have been a Force 9 gale blowing. And they would add their covers out, sitting under there, watching us train. And we were pretty ordinary. And um, I used to make a point of talking to them all the time, got to know them all. And to this minute, there's still some still around. And I say hello to them, and they all say hello to me, and they appreciate. But footy is definitely king there, but that's their life. And sadly, a lot of my teammates didn't give them the time of day. A little bit arrogant and... So, yeah, I got to know him. Footy was great. Played one year with Morris. Um, but Richmond treated me so well, like they still do to this minute, you know. like So I'm one of their um, ten Tiger Treasures of the Century and uh, I'm their Goal of the Century winner. So I think I've got that for about another 85 years or something. <laughs> <laughs> so they can't take it off me just yet. So, but... Some of the names that are there that the other treasures are, like, say, you got um, Hart, Royce Hart, um, Francis Burke, Kevin Bartlett. Um, did I say Royce Hart? Yeah, yep. Royce Hart. Um, Jack, Jack Dyer. Dyer. Yep. Uh, old Nifty Nev Crow. He was there for the Save Our Skins campaign, which is what we were there for. But um, they're all Richmond royalty, and, you know, I'm very humbled by the fact that my name's in amongst our group, and obviously Disco's in there for um, Mark Roach for Mark of the Century. So, And when I go back to uh, Richmond, they treat me so well that I'm just in awe of it, like so humbled by it. But they do treat me very, very well. Tell us how special a player Morris Rioli was. Oh, well, his nickname was Mr Magic, so, <laughs> and he was magic. Says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Look, because um, I asked him, I said to him, I said, brother, what? You know, when you first come over, he said, look, he said, it didn't matter where I went, the ball went. And he said from there, but his reputation, you know, everybody just loves him. And it's a shame what happened happened. And um, But they still remember him. And, uh, you know, that, that's fantastic. Is it special watching Morris Jr. play as well? Yeah, look, um, I'm Good going player. over. Yeah, I'm going over in a couple of weeks for a couple of reasons and uh, I'm going to catch up with him and hopefully have dinner with him and uh, him and young Daniel. So, yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh, some Richmond supporter group want to fly me over, put me up, take me out to dinner with them and all i got to do is talk to them about footy overnight and they'll give me some beer money. Send me back. <laughs> <laughs> Life's good. How good's that? <laughs> Life's good. Those few years of Richmond still carrying you through. Um, Daniel and Morris Jr. must be really special. They've really stamped themselves, and there's a, a good group of young Indigenous players in our Shea Bolton's and other yeah. from this side of the country. They, they're they damn good to watch at the moment, the Tigers. Oh, they're fantastic, you know. Um, just uh, – and the club looks after them really well, and knowing who they are, you know, they're part of a – the most famous name, you know, in footy, especially Richmond, South Fremantle, but WA, Victoria, 
It's a famous name. And it's a bit disappointing just recently where he didn't get named in the All-Australian, young Daniel. So I'm just curious. I, anyway. He'll find his way in there. Well, I hope he does. But there was another boy, uh, I think it was a uh, young Foley. He had a gun year like Daniel did. Next year he did his knee and he kind of, that was the end of it. Yeah. So when it's your time, you should be able to do it. Not not for someone to say, oh, they've got plenty of time to do it. Yeah. No. I think on merit, I would have put him in before the other two. Yeah. But anyway, that's me. He's uh, settled in nicely in that role at halfback. I'm sure it won't be, oh, won't fantastic. be too far away. You know? Your early days at the club, fortunes weren't quite as good as they were. Now, you mentioned you were um, at the bottom end of things. You were holding yep. up the ladder, especially the first year you finished last. Obviously, yep. that would have been tough in a sense, but do you find it helped you find your feet a little bit? You sort of came into that side and, and were able to establish yourself pretty quickly? Yeah, look, um, even though we were struggling, they're a bit different over East. They're footy fans. And it doesn't matter what team you play for. They won't hate you for that. But what they do, what the, what the common feedback I get is that other footy fans used to go to the footy and they'd say, oh, we're playing Richmond today. And then they'd say, oh, good, we'll see Mitchell play. And they're looking forward to it. So it's kind of a, it's a good thing. But um, we did struggle. But, uh, you know, I did okay personally. But, you know, footy's a team game. It sounds like you endeared yourself to not only Richmond fans, but fans across the league pretty quickly. And I tell you, winning mark of the year and goal of the year in the same year tends to help that. I want you to talk me through first the mark against Fitzroy. You beat Gary Ablett Senior and Nicky Winmar to the award that year, that one-handed grab on yep. the boundary line. I've heard you say before you were going up to spoil. Is that is that true? Well, Brett Stevens was there, and he played for East Perth here, and uh, he's a good fella. And um, but he was kind of there, and I, I was sort of looking at it, and I thought I wasn't going to get there. Then all of a sudden, oh, I'm I'm getting going to get there. And anyway, luckily, juggle juggle, and kind of held on to it, and they blew the whistle. So, but um, I'd taken a few marks on him over here too. So he's like uh, Greg Wilkinson. What they're good at is they they're good at positioning themselves for the ball, but they're also good for us little blokes that Step like to jump around. <laughs> Do you, what ended up happening with the Ford that you won? Um, well, I won a Ford laser yep. for the um, mark, mark of the year. And uh, I won uh, $5,000 worth of product from BP, BP Australia. So when they told me about the car, because I wasn't going to go and... Um, because a mate of mine had a christening. He was from Carnarvon down in Geelong, and he had a christening. And I said, oh, you know, I'll be there, brother. Anyway, so I told Channel 7 that, and they said, oh, look, you know, you've won um, Goal of the Year, and uh, they haven't picked Mark of the Year yet, but they, sponsors want you to come. And I said, well, well, I'm going to the christening. Anyway, a couple of days later, they rang me. Yeah, yeah, and they said they rang me a couple of days later and said, "Oh, Mitch, you've won the bloomin' uh, gold as well." And I said, and they said, "Oh, you got to come in. The sponsors want you." And I said, "Oh, oh, all right, I'll come in." But anyway, so I won the car, which was a laser, a Ford laser, and I said, "Oh, look, I don't want that laser. I want that one over there, the Ford, <laughs> the Ford Courier." <laughs> so we worked it out. And I paid a little bit of money on it, not yep. much, but I got a Ford Courier 4x4. Four four Fantastic. And I kept to the negotiating on the day. mark of the year prize. <laughs> yeah. um, the goal of the year, if you, for those that haven't seen it, you need to find it on YouTube. Against Sydney at the SCG, you pick the ball up at half back in the middle of a contest. I counted six bounces. Yep. And the biggest name that you beat to the award that year is Peter Dacos, who kicked a few handy goals in his time. Yep. Talk us through that goal. Yeah, well, it was actually seven bounces. But oh, I've understood. So and it's good. And I, I actually want to catch up with Dakes because he's a great bloke. And, you know, we, we had a few beers together every now and then. But I'd just love to go and see and watch his boys plays and just hang out with him a bit. 
But, um, yeah, there was a bit of a scrimmage down back. Ball flicked out, got hold of it. And all my teammates say they were they were in position to receive it. And I said, no, no, none of us were in position A to get it. So that's why I had to go myself. But what's interesting about it is um, Dennis Cometti, and I've told this young in recent times, a few times now, Dennis Cometti got in on early on the count and he, he picked it up about the second or third bounce. Yeah, he knew. He, yeah, and he says, Michael Mitchell says, I want that goal and he's gone. <laughs> and anyway... As it transpired, I got lucky with the shot and it went through. So, yeah, it was a good moment. And um, if you run all the goals of the year in actual time, that I think a lot of them are done and dusted well before I've finished. Yeah, still so, going. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the longest carry. But anyway. It's what made you so good and it's also what made Dennis so good as well. Pick oh. that up when you've got the footy at halfback. Um You've touched on Morris a little bit and, a, and another couple, Dale Waitman as well. Who were your favourite players to play with at the Tigers? Oh, look, it was them, uh, the general, Disco, go. they were all really good, you know, and the, and then the young new breed coming through. And see, we used to go on a Monday night to one of the blokes' houses and uh, there's about seven or eight of us and we had the chess club. So we'd go and play chess on a Monday or a Tuesday night. Yeah. And uh, it was good because um, a couple of them were intellectuals and thought they were pretty smart. But um, I more than held my own with them, won a few. But um, And my mate Phil Egan, who was over in Oligo, he said, yeah, we always bloody got sick of you blokes sitting up the front playing chess all the time on the bus or on the plane. <laughs> Why chess? Why the, it's, a, it's an interesting hybrid being a... Goal of the year winner and, and a very good chess player. So you've obviously done it since you're a kid and, and carried yeah. it through. What's the appeal? Well, as I said earlier, it's it's about strategy. So it teaches about strategy with things. And, you know, one of the famous quotes one night came from Dal Cowie. He actually went and went, did some work for the Sultan of Brunei, some art, artistic work. He was a glass blower and wrought iron worker and quite an educated man. And we're playing away and I did this move on... And he says, he's looking at a phrase, he's looking at me, looking down, and he said, you can't be seeing what I'm seeing. And he moved his piece, and the next move was checkmate. And he, it's a famous moment amongst yeah. us anyway. What about the head knocks? We've, we've already touched on them a little bit, but 89, you missed a large chunk of the year with yep. one, I think it was out of a practice game against North Melbourne. How much of an issue did that become in the back half of your career? Um, look, at the time... I probably shouldn't have played a minute of footy that year, but I played six games. Um, should not have. And I, I did something that was totally reckless and foolish. So they told me what the process was to getting approval to play. So it was kind of the first time they introduced psychometric testing in that. And uh, so they told me how it all worked. And so being the clown I am, I thought, oh, yeah, okay. Didn't tell anyone, but I tanked the first test. And uh, so when I did the next test, a couple of weeks later, all good. Showed significant gain and all that. But in hindsight and now, my messaging is just don't do that. You know, it was it was crazy. It, it was so reckless and foolish that um, could have cost me, you know, could have cost me my life, could have cost me all sorts. But so I was playing... And um, and I love the Richmond Football Club, so I'll, I'll never give them up for anything. And I'm so grateful for everything that's transpired with my career. All credit to Claremont, uh, Richmond and myself and the people that were in it. And um, so if I had my time over again, I'd do it differently. I wouldn't have played. But it got so bad that um, I'd be running along I'd go across, mark the ball, and the horizon would be hovering as I was sliding across, bouncing. And my wife, Fiona, who I love to death, um, she knew stuff wasn't wrong, uh, wasn't right, and um, she didn't want me to play at all. And anyway, one day she saw me really straight, and she went down to the box and went off her head at them, and they pulled me off, and I never played again. Uh, so we, I had the 16 weeks off. 
Um, then the following year, um, they kind of made an offer too good to to refuse. So played again. I did okay, but it was never the same. Yep. Even though I'd been getting concussed all the time. So one time, famously at uh, Subiaco Oval, we're in the showers after playing Subiaco, and my great mate Daryl Dollar Peninsula, he was standing next to me, and I said to him, "Hey Dollar, did we win today?" And he looked at me. He said, "Come with me, straight into the medical room." I think I went to hospital that night, but that sort of thing used to happen all the time. Yeah. So. You know, and it's not anyone's fault, but things are a lot better now. Yeah. You're a, a fearless player and obviously yeah. attacked the footy very hard and it's it wasn't the age where shirking a contest was something that you could do. Did you ever do you ever remember sort of thinking twice heading into a contest or going back with the flight or anything like that? Oh look, you always thought about it, but you know, you thought, Oh, well I'll be right. But you know, concussion's an interesting syndrome and it's it's just about a movement of the brain, body going one way and all that. So, And that happens many, many instances where there's not even real contact. But in my day, you know, you could get killed from anywhere. In today's footy, if you're not gentle with them and put them down nicely, you get suspended at the minute, which is good and great for the game and for players and longevity in that but in our day the crowd roared when you got killed and carried off and nobody got suspended or sent off yeah it was just it was kind of the law of the jungle at the time does it make you sort of skin crawl a little bit when you look back at crowds cheering players being stretched off and it was just the dumb thing at the time but oh look it was it was just like I guess it must have been like the Coliseum days. and um, But that's what it was. They're a lot better now, you know, and everything's getting a bit better around the political correctness and all that. However, it's what we've got to realise is that it's a contact sport. Yeah. And you've got a split second. Not long ago, I knocked a woman out playing touch footy here in Perth. And uh, <laughs> when I tell people, she was on my side. And, um, <laughs> but You meant to only be running my way in <laughs> yeah, touch pretty Yeah, well, I was. I was going that way. Yeah. And she looked that way, and as she spun her head around, when I called for it, she stepped into me, and I ran a fine line. And it's funny now. We laugh about it now, but it was fair income because the ambulance was on the ground, the lights going, everybody looking what happened. Oh, she got knocked out by him over there. <laughs> Anyway, that's what she said, and she, and she said at the time, oh, jeez, I got hit by a bloody sledgehammer. But when you play footy, we're conditioned for contact. However yeah. fleeting that moment is, I was running past, and as soon as contact was there, so I just automatically, you're in the, you're in the position. Yeah. And sadly, anyway, it was a bit shame. <laughs> a concussion symptom something you still live with today? Um. Touchwood, I've been lucky. Um, so when I finished playing footy, with all that drama and that, it took me a while to find myself. And I call that the void. And I mentioned that to Richo one day, and he said, yeah, you're spot on. And I think he's written about that in his book. But it, there's a vacuum. You live in a vacuum where you're, you're, on the, in the, you're on the Coliseum, on the ground, and the crowd's roaring, and that goes... And, you know, it's the hype, the adrenaline, and that goes, and then you've got to do something. So I did a few things, and uh, what I did do was go to university and got a degree, a Bachelor of Applied Science in Aboriginal Health, specialising in mental health. So my cognition and my functioning was okay. And it's, well, touch wood, still is to this minute. And that's my field that I work in now, mental health. And social and emotional well-being. So, were there guys around the time that you played with that did go down the right path and didn't didn't sort of find their next calling after footy? It's something that we hear about a little bit even today. Yeah, look, um, there's a lot of household names today that are struggling, and I've talked to them and their partners. There various times I go around the place and see them here or over in Victoria, and 
the partners are always worried because they see them every day, 24-7. But I think what's happened is uh, there's some good medicines that have come along. And one of them in particular stops the, it doesn't stop, but it slows down the Alzheimer's stuff and all that, the dementia stuff. So that's a good thing. It's not a perfect thing, but in the absence of the perfect thing, we'll take the good thing. And it's, and it's given some sort of quality of life back to the fellas and their families and their kids. So, so that's significant. Was the mental health space something that even when you were playing footy, you knew that you wanted to work in? Was it a passion of yours? Because you came to it. Um, it's obviously something that's very, very important, but has only really come into probably the public conscience in any major way recently. You were early to it. Was it always a passion and an interest? No, not really. Although um, I'm like I'm, I'm altruistic in nature, so you look after other people and you look out for other people, and you, you know. And and that was part of it. And then I somehow fell into mental health, being the director of a medical service, uh, community control, Aboriginal control and CDP, and then did that. And that's what made me go back to uni and get my degree to do my job better and then make it a better place for Aboriginal folk as a collective. So I've been a part of national processes and projects to make the system work better. Currently with some research projects, I'm involved with um, Tackle Your Feelings, which is a mental health suicide prevention project with Zurich International. But the research ones are important and we're currently developing stuff and uh, it's all uh, working out pretty nicely. So we're just trying to make the world a better place for young people, older people and families. Yeah. I know it's sort of at the core of Tackle Your Feelings in particular, but is using footy and is footy an important factor in that? Is it something that we can use as a link to improve the lives of younger people? Yeah, look, most definitely. And um, interestingly, um, so I went up to uh, Carnarvon a couple of weeks ago with young Daniel there, and uh, we went to Carnarvon for the grand final in that. And it was interesting to note, so the influence footy has on people, right? So a couple of young blokes running into goal to kick the goal, show the ball out the back, a la Shea Bolton. And I thought, wow, there it is. That's the proof of how much influence the players have. So, you know, obviously you want them to have positive actions and be the heroes and have positive messaging. And uh, so... Because the world's a pretty tough place at the minute, and so we've got to make it better. Do you still have ties to Carnarvon today? Uh, yeah. Um, sadly, my parents aren't there anymore, and I uh, love them to death, but, but they're no longer there. Um, I go back fishing. I said this not long ago to someone. Um, part of, I guess, you know, this is probably talking myself up a bit here, but I stayed grounded because I never went on one player's trip anywhere with Claremont. I actually went on a player's trip with Warriors, football club in Carnarvon. We went to Bali way back, early 80s. and um, But I never went anywhere with Claremont or Richmond. I went back home, stayed grounded, did the things we normally did, saw all my uncles who were special and important to me and my aunties and family and relations. And I think that's what helped me. And it's helped me now to this minute. So even though I had my moments, you know, you get carried away a bit. But um, generally I was pretty grounded. I wanted to ask about the um, the Richmond premierships. You're obviously, it comes through when we hear you speak about how passionate you still are of the clubs and having been there in a difficult time. What did the premierships in 17 and 19 and 20 mean to you? Oh, look, um, I think I missed the first one but saw the second too. And, well, it, well, it's just good and humbling that um, we were the top of the tree and not the bottom. And uh, so, as I said earlier, people treat me really well, like me as an individual. So they were all hyped up and hyped up with me as well and passed that on kind of. But when I was there, we were pretty ordinary. And, uh, you know, we used to get pumped 
smashed. And if you have a look at the photos of the modern-day footballers, there's not too much mud on them. But if you go on, you Google me, there's mud everywhere. Is that because they're a better turf these days? <laughs> oh, absolutely. they got stuff in Melbourne called Mary Creek Turf, and uh, it actually sticks to your hand. I, I went to drop the ball to kick it once, and it stayed on my hand. <laughs> but you have a look at our photos, covered in mud. Yeah. So all the grounds are much better. And here's the kicker. And um, so we used to stay out there for the entire duration of the game. No luxury of kicking back on the bench, looking around, having a yarn, relaxing, recovering. So they go on, off. So their game style, they're at 95% capacity for 70% of their time on the ground. Yeah. When I played, that was in the first 10 minutes, and then it was gone. Yeah. And then it was just, you just kept dropping and dropping. And depending on your level of fitness that you had, or whether you got lazy or not, or got smarter, you lasted longer. So I think it was a truer test about endurance. They talk about all these blokes now, and the stand rule, well, that's like having a mulligan in golf. Every shot. Yeah. <laughs> Do you reckon it makes for a better standard of footy that blokes are fresher towards the end of games? It's an interesting point. I mean, it's the, obviously that survival of the fittest sort of thing, and that was a, a big part of footy in the day. But do you reckon, would you rather say that or better skills down the stretch in the fourth quarter? Um, obviously, we want to see all the skills on display. But then uh, it should be an endurance event too. But yep. it's not that anymore. You know, and I say that respectfully probably is to a certain degree, but, you know, when you can, what have they got now? Is it 60 or 80 moves they can do, subs? Yeah. I don't know what it is. But anyway, just so you can be, and when I played, I, I refer to it as this, I was a two-way player, so I had defence on my side. So a couple of times in the AFL, I think I led the tackle count, and that was because I'd run them down from behind. But there's a lot of modern-day players today who don't do that. They're, and they're all tooled up for offence. And now I call them one-way players. Yep. So two-way players go both ways. And if I had a bad day, I prided myself on this. The player I was on had a bad day too. But his job was generally to nullify me, so he probably won. But I made sure he didn't get a kick. Yeah. But whereas today's footy, it's a bit different. It's always something you can fall back on, isn't it? Yeah. Tackling and defensive yeah. work rate. And... Well, they big it up. Right, and so the small forward now, you know, he's got to put forward forward pressure on. They go on about it, but it's when you midfield, and your man's there ten yards away, and you know you should get over earlier to shut him down as an option. But when you're caretaking blades of grass, that's not allowed. Yeah, but anyway, was speed over the fur? I read somewhere that your big thing was speed over the first five metres. Yep. Is that that's something we talk about a lot in footy, whether it's getting out on a lead or a rundown tackle or getting away from a contest? Was that something that you found really important in what you did? Yeah, look, um, I guess it was my whole game, but also I played touch footy all my life. And uh, when I won the sand over in 84, um, played for WA in a state game. I also played for WA in a, at the National Touch Footy Championships in Sydney. And uh, we got pumped by everyone, but we went there. So what Touch Footy does, and everybody should play Touch Footy, it teaches you about space, about making and creating, but yep. also about closing space and also about working out someone's deficiencies and getting on the right side of them to make them go to where their deficiency, deficiencies are. But also... So when you got pace, and I'm talking it up a bit, but I had smarts and I could step that first block. So I can make him miss yeah. every time, nearly every time. Make him miss. So then the numbers game should favour us. Opens so, up the ground. Yeah, it? yeah. Yep. So then if you make another one miss, it opens up even more. So you've got options, draw and pass, just take the ball through traffic, pick the right options, options and someone should have a free shot up goal. Yeah. So. You would have played briefly with Jared Neesham at Claremont? No, I didn't. No? He came along after me. I played against him. Yeah. Um, at yep. Swans? Yeah. Yeah. 
but he sort of popularised that mentality yeah, around space, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. He understood it. Yeah. And uh, they worked it, and now everyone does it. But, you know, in the modern game now, sometimes you see a couple of them, well, I'll call them, some of them cheat a bit. They go a bit early. Yeah. And uh, they get you undone on the other side. Quick turnover, they're done. But they're hedging their bets before the ball's won. And you see some blokes out on their own, 20 metres, and you think, that's not right. But they're there. What about the 666 rule? Um, good for the game. Yeah. Well, it's clearly stopped. Um, you're in front by seven points. Yeah. Extra man down back. Yeah. If there's a goal scored, well, he's not down there. He's got to make a decision to go, leave his man wherever he goes. So, no, I, th- I think that's okay. To a certain degree. It's made for some good finishers, I think. Yeah, yeah. It can, certainly you can has. kick two goals in the last minute of, minute of a game if it comes down to it. Yeah, no, I think that's one of the better rules, but I think 90% of the other ones, well, shelve them. <laughs> Do you have a favourite player? Do you have a player that you look at at the moment, whether at the Tigers or elsewhere, and you like the two-way running and the skills? Um, well, obviously shy, and a lot of people... They say to me, well, he plays like you. I said, yeah, he does a bit, um, but he's pretty good. Um, I do like, um, uh, what's his name from Melbourne? Oliver. Yeah. And I've been saying that to my daughter. She's a mad footy fan. And I said to her, because she's on Petrarca, and I said, no, no, he's not the man there. The man is Oliver. Watch what's going on. And to me, he is. But interestingly, someone's talked him up, well, Dangerfield, at the All-Australians. Yeah. He made an interesting comment, so I think I'm on the money. Yeah. But no, this great players. You know, I like the little smalls. What's great about the little small forward is the little man's back. For a little while there, it was these six-foot-two, six-foot-three androids who didn't know how to play, didn't have any idea about but the fact that they were athletic, could run, do run a 400 in X amount of time or this many, beep test, footy's about a bit more than that. Yeah. And you're a brilliant exponent of it, Michael Mitchell. Thank you so (laughs) much for joining us. We really, really appreciate your time and and some of the stories that you've shared today. Could listen to you uh, all day, but we better let you go. Um, Appreciate you coming in. Thank you, my brother. All the best. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bush Footy Legends. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you like, follow and share it with your mates. Make sure you check in on them while you're there. For tips and advice on how to look after yourself, your family and your mates, visit thinkmentalhealthwa.com.au. Get in touch with us through our Instagram page at WA Country Football or if you want to suggest a guest, email us at wafc.com.au. If you're after more, stay tuned. We'll have an episode dropping every week.